Welcome to A Great Big City News, episode 42. Today, de Blasio drops out in Christmas in September. I am Trace Gilton, founder of A Great Big City. Those new state license plates may have hit a bump in the road. As was predicted when the online voting began to choose the new plate, the actual replacement process for the plates became a contentious issue just like when the gold Empire plates were rolled out in 2010. The uproar surrounded the mandatory $25 fee and the additional fees if you wanted to keep your current plate number. Vehicle owners were taken aback, and now Governor Cuomo and the DMV have released statements indicating that the new plates will likely follow the same path as the gold Empire plates, which were changed from a mandatory replacement to a rolling schedule where only the new plates that were issued had the new design. The core issue in choosing a new design is to replace damaged plates that may not be readable by traffic cameras and the upcoming congestion pricing camera system. But owners with old plates that they feel appear undamaged did not want to pay the minimum $25 and also have to change their license plate number. Department of Motor Vehicles Commissioner Mark Schroeder stated that, quote, If a plate is damaged, or if the reflective coating is degraded, the camera will not work and the person will not be charged the toll. The revenue loss will be borne by other drivers, which is unfair. The national standard by the American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators is that 10 years is a license plate's useful life. It is possible that a plate may still be in good condition after 10 years, but that determination would need to be made on a plate-by-plate basis after inspection. If the legislature can agree to a cost-effective and practical plate inspection mechanism to determine what plates are still in good operating condition after the 10-year life and thus do not need to be replaced, we would welcome the opportunity to be cooperative. The 10-year life replacement program does not go into effect until next April, so we have time to work with the legislature to explore alternatives. We support reducing costs wherever possible. Unquote. But I have to tell you at the same time, I I feel like uh, I've contributed all I can to this primary election and uh, it's clearly not my time. So I'm going to end my presidential campaign, uh, continue my work as mayor of New York City. That's how Bill de Blasio finally ended his run for president early Friday morning on MSNBC. In an 18 minute interview, de Blasio reflected on his campaign, claiming that he actually entered the race too late and gave various talking points on national politics and policies, including a vague endorsement on a plan similar to candidate Andrew Yang's tax on automation as it replaces manufacturing jobs. But de Blasio also played the opposite side of the issue, saying that American workers, quote, want jobs, not universal basic income, unquote. This looks to be the final President de Blasio news update, and New Yorkers may or may not be cheering the mayor's return to the city to serve out his last two years. Here's a taste of what to expect. What's next for you in New York? What, what, what are you looking forward to over the next few years? So we're going to take the next step with early childhood education. We're going to do 3K, three-year-olds. We'll get an early childhood education Amazing. for free universally. Uh, we're going to do something very important. Right now we've announced it. We're going to implement it a guaranteed health care model. If you don't have health insurance, you get a health care card and you get a primary care doctor assigned to you in oh, our wow. public hospitals or clinics. <laughs> pay what you can pay. Go to the doctor, not the emergency room when you have a problem, actually get well. And we're going to pass a law and work hard with our city council to pass a law 
guaranteeing what is guaranteed in every industrialized nation on earth but this one, which is guaranteed time off for working people. We're going to pass a law guaranteeing two weeks paid vacation for every working person. Mm. And one more thing, I'm going to keep working on this automation issue locally, nationally, uh, to make sure we actually have a plan to protect American workers from automation and from the decisions of corporations that could leave millions of people without a livelihood. That's unacceptable. They want jobs, not universal basic income, in my humble opinion. Yeah. They want jobs and a livelihood. I'm going to fight for that. In the latest polling, Joe Biden remains the top Democratic pick for presidential candidate, with Elizabeth Warren gaining in recent polls and turning out an estimated 20,000 supporters at a rally in Washington Square Park this week. Three years ago on September 17, 2016, a pressure cooker bomb explodes outside 135 West 23rd Street in Chelsea, and an unexploded device is found outside 131 West 27th Street. Around 8.30 p.m., the 23rd Street bomb exploded near a dumpster from a construction site. Shrapnel from the explosion and the ball bearings that were inside the pressure cooker caused injuries to 30 people, but thankfully the area was not crowded at the time and no one was killed. Near 11 p.m. that same day, a passerby saw the second bomb on 27th Street and called the police who were able to use a robot to remove the bomb and inspect its components, which included a pressure cooker wired with a cell phone and high explosives with ball bearings and steel nuts packed inside. The bombs were connected to similar attacks in Seaside Heights, New Jersey, where one bomb exploded where a 5K charity race would be taking place, and in Elizabeth, New Jersey, where a bomb at the New Jersey Transit train station exploded while police attempted to disarm it. Police and the FBI were able to locate fingerprints and DNA from the unexploded device found on 27th Street, and two days after the Chelsea bombing, Ahmad Khan Rahimi was captured in a shootout with police in Linden, New Jersey. A journal extolling Islamic extremists and referencing bombings was found in his home. He was sentenced to life in prison in February 2018. 182 years ago on September 18, 1837, Tiffany, Young, and Ellis is founded in New York, selling stationery and fancy goods. By 1853, the store would shift its focus to jewelry and become Tiffany & Company. Although the first version of the store was founded in Connecticut, it would move to 259 Broadway in Lower Manhattan just one year later and has had its headquarters in New York City ever since. The store pioneered the labeling of prices on products and did not accept purchases on credit, which were both contrary to the practices at the time of haggling on price and charging items to your account at the store. The sleek glass building at the corner of 15th Street and Union Square West may look like modern construction, but it actually dates back to 1870 when the Tiffany Company commissioned the new six-story building for their headquarters. The building was refurbished 136 years later with a six-story addition above the building, and the original cast-iron facade can still be seen behind the tinted glass panels that cover it today. The company also has their flagship store on 5th Avenue at 57th, famous for its appearance in Breakfast at Tiffany's, and their former building at 5th and 37th was built in 1905 and declared a National Historic Landmark in 1978. 22 years ago on September 19, 1997, 
A woman drives her 1992 Hyundai off the Staten Island Ferry while it is still 50 feet from the dock, knocking down a worker and plunging into the water. You may have not even known that the ferry carried cars at one point, but cars could catch a ride on the ferry for $3 before September 11th security concerns ended the practice. On a Friday morning, Camille Bayer was traveling from Astoria to Staten Island and was parked on the lower level of the ferry, sitting in her car for the trip. Ferry workers recalled seeing Bayer dozed off behind the wheel and theorized that she must have been jolted awake just before the ferry docked and stepped on the accelerator in panic. The car took off, crashed through the safety gates, knocking a ferry worker overboard, and dropped off the boat while it was still 50 feet from the dock. SIFerry.com reports that the impact shattered the rear windshield and the water swept the driver out the back. The ferry went into emergency full reverse to move away from the car, and the crew tossed lifeboats and life preservers into the water. She appeared unresponsive, so one of the workers, Anther Sondegren, dove into the water and helped direct her to a ladder to climb out onto the dock. Although there have been proposals to again allow vehicles on the Staten Island Ferry, the amount of time it would take to screen each vehicle in a lengthy security process has meant that vehicles are still not allowed on the ferry 18 years after the September 11th attacks. Sixty-one years ago, on September 20, 1958, Martin Luther King Jr. narrowly escapes death in Harlem. He was stabbed with a seven-inch letter opener at a book signing at Blumstein's department store. While signing copies of his book, Stride Toward Freedom, a woman approached him and stabbed him in the chest. He required emergency surgery and recovered in the hospital for several weeks. The attacker, Isola Curry was deemed mentally incompetent, having previously suffered delusions and paranoia, and did not stand trial. Ten days after the stabbing, King held his first public appearance from his hospital room, where he began by forgiving Isola Curry, expressing his hope that she would get the help she needs, and using the attack to call attention to larger issues. Here is part of his statement from that day. Quote, The pathetic aspect of this experience is not the injury to one individual, It demonstrates that a climate of hatred and bitterness so permeates areas of our nation that inevitably, deeds of extreme violence must erupt. Today, it is I. Tomorrow, it could be another leader or any man, woman, or child who will be the victim of lawlessness and brutality. King was released from Harlem Hospital on October 3rd and would recover at the home of Sandy Ray in Brooklyn until October 24th. Today, 125th Street in Harlem, where Blumstein's department store and many Harlem landmarks are located, has been renamed for Dr. King. Isola Curry spent the years after the attack in various care institutions and died in 2015 at the age of 98. King would refer to the stabbing in his 1968 I've Been to the Mountaintop speech in Memphis, recounting his days in the hospital and expressing his gratitude that he survived to see the accomplishments of the civil rights movement. He was assassinated the next day. Five years ago on September 24, 2014, the third section of the High Line opens from 30th Street through Hudson Yards. The third and final major section of the park to open, this section curved up and around Hudson Yards long before the new Hudson Yards buildings were complete and gives a more open view of the sky as the elevated rail line emerges from the buildings of Chelsea and curves toward the Hudson River. 
This third section features the widest area of the High Line as it turns to run along 30th Street, a narrow walkway that rises above the railroad platform, meant to show how the wild plants took over the High Line for the decades after it was decommissioned, and the only section of the High Line that descends to street level. The High Line also branches off at 30th Street to the east, where the final section of the High Line, the High Line Spur, is located. The High Line Spur opened in June 2019, and you can learn more about the spur in episode 26 of the podcast. Four years ago on September 21st, 2015, a Bronx Legionnaire's disease outbreak kills 12 and sickens over 100 people. The outbreak lasted from January to September 2015 and was caused by dirty cooling towers at multiple Bronx buildings. The Legionella bacteria grows in warm water and can be introduced into a building through the ventilation systems when people breathe in water vapor containing the bacteria. It is a type of pneumonia and can cause severe illness in anyone with breathing difficulties, a compromised immune system, or anyone 50 years or older. In response to the Bronx outbreak, the city now requires building owners to register, maintain, and disinfect cooling towers, according to Department of Health standards, and the results of these tests can be searched online at the city's website. And finally, the air is getting cooler and it's beginning to look a lot like fall. But 122 years ago this week, one little girl had her mind on the Christmas season. 122 years ago on September 21st, 1897. Yes, Virginia, There Is a Santa Claus is first published in the New York Sun. Virginia O'Hanlon lived at 115 West 95th Street in Manhattan and wrote to the paper on her father's urging. Her short, handwritten note to the editor of the New York Sun was simple and to the point. Quote, I am eight years old. Some of my little friends say there is no Santa Claus. Papa says, if you see it in the sun, it's so. Please tell me the truth. Is there a Santa Claus? Unquote. The editor's response, anonymously written by Francis Farcellus Church, would become a national sensation and become the most reprinted English editorial, with readers asking for it to be republished soon after its first appearance, although the New York Sun was initially hesitant to do so. The editorial was not republished in the New York Sun at Christmas time until the 1920s. The paper's response to Virginia's letter touched on the skepticism of society and encouraged a romanticized outlook on life where the wonder of childhood is never allowed to die. Santa Claus was used as a representation of something unprovable, but nonetheless real because of the impact it has on our lives. Here's the most famous excerpt from the editorial, and you can see the original printing of the editorial in context in the 1897 New York Sun at the link in the show notes. Quote, Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. He exists as certainly as love and generosity and devotion exist, and you know that they abound and give to your life its highest beauty and joy. Alas, how dreary would the world be if there were no Santa Claus. It would be as dreary as if there were no Virginias. There would be no childlike faith then, no poetry, no romance to make tolerable this existence. We should have no enjoyment except in sense and sight. The eternal light with which childhood fills the world would be extinguished. Unquote. Coming up next on the Great Big City. 
This woman bought what she thought was a watermelon, but you won't believe what happened next. <clears throat> Coming up. Would you like to enable desktop notifications? I said no already. Coming up next. Homeowners in Oswego, New York can't believe this one weird trick. Other news websites are quick to trick their readers with clickbait headlines and undercover ads, but a great big city is dedicated to keeping the news straightforward and factual. If a great big city has kept you informed over the years, make a contribution at agreatbigcity.com slash support. And if you're a local business, visit agreatbigcity.com slash advertising to view rates and learn more. Would you like to enable desktop notifications? Oh, not again. Park of the Day. DeVoe Park on West Fordham Road in the Bronx. The history of DeVoe Park in University Heights begins with the construction of the first Reformed Dutch church in 1705 on the site. Although the church building was destroyed in the Revolutionary War, a new church was built near Kingsbridge Road in 1802. The DeVoe's were a wealthy Bronx family and congregants at the first Reformed Dutch church. In Park's events, this Sunday, September 22nd, is the 37th annual Queens County Fair. The first county fair was held in Queens in 1693, and this year's Queens County Fair will have corn husking contest, tractor pools, hay rides, carnival rides, and midway games. There will be a Bavarian beer garden featuring live music and dance, craft and food vendors, and an agricultural fair showing produce, livestock, arts and crafts, and more. Find your way through the amazing maze maze, corn maze, and enjoy spending the day in one of Queen's finest parks. Tickets are $10 in advance, $15 at the door, and children ages 12 and under can receive a discounted ticket. Call 718-347-3276 for more info. Now let's see what our robot friend has found for this week on the concert calendar. This is the AGBC concert calendar for the upcoming week. Madonna is playing Bam Howard Gilman Opera House on Sunday, September 22nd and Tuesday, September 24th. Real Close, Jordan Jones Mississippi Dukes, and Nebula are playing Occupus on Sunday, September 22nd. Lizzo and Ari Lennox are playing Radio City Music Hall on Sunday, September 22nd at 8pm. Nick Cave is playing the Town Hall on Monday, September 23rd. The B-52s, Berlin, and Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark are playing Central Park Summer Stage on Tuesday, September 24th. Bastille and Joywave are playing the Hulu Theater on Tuesday, September 24th at 8pm. Megan Dia are playing the Music Hall of Williamsburg on Tuesday, September 24th. Lizzo is playing Radio City Music Hall on Tuesday, September 24th at 8pm. Real Clothes, Aaron Jens, Cordoba, Moon Revenge, and Naked Hugs are playing Bowery Electric on Wednesday, September 25th. George Thorogood and the Destroyers are playing the Town Hall on Wednesday, September 25th. Mark Knopfler and Bonnie Raitt are playing Madison Square Garden on Wednesday, September 25th at 7pm. Steve Hackett is playing the Beacon Theatre on Wednesday, September 25th at 8pm. Massive Attack is playing Radio City Music Hall on Thursday, September 26th. Brian Wilson and the Zombies are playing the Beacon Theatre on Thursday, September 26th. Bandmate are playing Gramercy Theatre on Thursday, September 26. And Pine Grove is playing Webster Hall on Friday, September 27. Thanks for listening.
Find more fun things to do at a greatbigcity.com slash events. Here's something you may not have known about New York. The northern part of Manhattan Island was originally settled in 1658 and named New Harlem, separate from New Amsterdam at the southern tip of the island. Even as New York City unified over the years, Harlem has kept its name. Extreme highs and lows for this week in weather history. A record high of 97 degrees on September 23, 1895, and a record low of 40 degrees on September 21, 1871. Weather for the week ahead. Light rain on Monday and next Saturday, with high temperatures peaking at 88 degrees on Monday. Thanks for listening to A Great Big City. Follow along 24 hours a day on social media at A Great Big City, or email contact at A Great Big City with any news, feedback, or topic suggestions. Subscribe to A Great Big City News wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, Pocket Casts, or listen to each episode on the podcast pages at agreatbigcity.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening, and visit our podcast site to see show notes and extra links for each episode. Thanks for being part of A Great Big City. Great Big City.